suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Hello and welcome, dear listener. Yes, episode 385, closing in on that 400 number. Anyway, this is a podcast. We talk about news and politics, sex and religion. And I, of course, am Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, from regional Queensland, the regional slumlord himself, Scott. Scott, how are you? Not bad, thanks, Trevor. G'day, Joe. G'day, Trevor. G'day, listeners. How are you all? Joe, the tech guy who single-handedly has Norfolk Island humming along on a wonderful broadband that's the pride of the town. <laughs> Evening, all. Right. So, hello in the chat room to Essential Lord Don and anyone else who manages to join in. We'll try and incorporate your comments as we talk about stuff. And we're going to talk about various bits and pieces and stuff in this episode. And I can't find a theme for it. It's just a hodgepodge of different things. We'll make our way through it. See what, see what happens. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts or a modern podcast app, you'll see chapters. So you can see the list of topics that we're going to talk about. You could skip some if you don't like the look of them, or you could repeat ones that you do like the look of. Anyway, have a look at the chapters. With a bit of luck, you'll also see some images of some of the graphs and other charts we might talk about. So before we get into the topics, I'll just, I'll just reflect on a little personal experience, which I'm starting to do lately. Just down at, at Coolangatta, and we went out in the morning and examined the water because I was about to do this ocean swim, which I'm becoming quite obsessed about. Shop eating. Uh, yeah, that's it. And while we were there, there was a guy who'd just come in from the water and he was showering off and he's sitting down and it's a very friendly place, Coolangatta. So people just talk. So we just started chatting to him and how's your swim? Good. How's the water? Great. You know, telling him about how there's a group who swim every morning. Had a lovely conversation. He's telling how his kid is, is at a boarding school down the Gold Coast. That's why they're down. And he's originally from Toowoomba. An alarm bell should have sounded. Anyway, having a lovely chat and, and thinking, that's just a really nice guy, good chat. And then he mentioned about how after he goes to church on Sunday morning, he does this other thing or whatever. And immediately I just felt, oh, what a shame. <laughs> Seemed like a nice guy. Just put a downer on the whole thing. And uh, look, look, you need to remember. Yeah. Love the religious, hate the religion. Yeah. I know. But it just sort of tells you something about somebody mm. and sums people up in some ways. It, it tells like, you that they've been indoctrinated probably yes. before they had the age of choice. Yes. And yeah. And coming from Toowoomba, where you hail from, Scott. Um, mm -hmm. more than their share of there are Christians up there. up there. Yeah, he may not have been nutter. He was certainly Christian. But anyway, mm. anyway, it was just one of those things where it was like, dun, 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 and a conversation <laughs> that had been really pleasant 
And it just, and that was all it took. That's where I'm at at this point in life when I make these discoveries about people. Imagine meeting a new colleague and, you know, getting on with them fine and then finding out they were a young earth creationist. Yes. Well, imagine how he would have felt had he learned that I was one of the most well-known Satanists. No doubt that would have been a shock to him. Probably. Yes. Hello in the chat room, Alison, Bronwyn, and Shay. Shay's back as well. So <laughs> Shay says, describing my life on Tinder there, Trevor. I, I'm, I'm shocked, Shay. I thought you'd be on Christian Mingle. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the world we're in. So good on you, Shay. Good to have you in the chat room. We were talking about you the other day. It's a potential mover and shaker in the world. Don't let us down, Shay. We're counting on you because none of the rest of us will win. Yeah, must be. Right. So, yeah, that was my week. Yeah, a hodgepodge of different ideas. You know, often the things we talk about are quite depressing or could be seen as quite depressing. And I'm going to tell a story about somebody's death. And it's probably one of the more optimistic things that we'll talk about in tonight's episode. And this was from Joss Hall, who is the Dying with Dignity Queensland president. And she wrote, My dear friend Gillian died on Tuesday morning at 11.20am. The nurse inserted the needle into the portacath that had been used to deliver Gillian's chemotherapy and slowly started injecting the voluntary assisted dying substance. After about 30 seconds, Gillian smiled and gave a little goodbye wave. A few seconds later, her head lolled backwards and her eyes closed. The nurse continued injecting the substance. A few minutes after she finished the injection, she listened for Gillian's heartbeat and checked her pupils and said Gillian had gone. After 48 years working as a nurse, I have seen many people die, but I have never seen anyone die like that, losing consciousness seconds after smiling and waving goodbye. It was the best death I have ever seen. This is how death should be. It was really quite powerful. A really moving moment that would have been. I didn't think they were allowed to use injections. You can, but they've got to be a, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but Deep Throat did explain it to me that you do have the option of, if you can't swallow or something like that, then okay. they, do have their, they do have the option that they can inject you. Mm. Right. Because I thought the whole point was that no medical staff were involved beyond prescribing it. Yes, exactly. That, that, that was the whole point. That was why it was voluntary assisted dying, mm-hmm. but they did actually get it into the, into the Queensland legislation that said that if you cannot swallow, then you can actually get injected. Right. Mm-hmm. It anyway. makes Queensland's laws the most liberal with a small L in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm. It doesn't say whether that happened in Queensland. I assume it did, but. One would have thought yeah. so. Yeah. But anyway, sounds like a good way to go, I reckon. So on your own terms and doing it like that have been a good way to go. So that's one of the positive bits of news of the last few years where some sort of progressive liberal reform has actually got through despite all the objections. So well done to Dying With Dignity again for the, for the, the effort over the decades. The children by choice, though, are saying that Abortion might be legal, but it's still very, very difficult to get anywhere regional and on the public system. 
Mm. It's virtually impossible to have it done on the public purse. You know, you've got to basically pay for it if you want it done. So they do have all sorts of costs and that sort of stuff that get mm-hmm. trotted out every time there's a podcast on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems increasingly difficult for people to fall pregnant too. Like you just hear so many stories of low sperm counts and other medical issues and people leaving well, it till their thirties or later. It's just sort of infertility is an increasing problem. So. Yeah. I mean, they're saying mm. male sperm numbers have dropped over the last mm. 50 years, quite drastic. Yeah. Brian pointed that out to me the other day and we were trying to hypothesize why it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. we couldn't work it out. I haven't um, seen anything that, but I haven't gone looking. I suspect plastics and other things in our yeah, food, yeah. preservatives. Um, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Plasticizers were definitely, so not so much the plastic itself, but the stuff that makes it soft, plasticizers. Mm. Uh-huh. And other, what they call forever chemicals. Mm. There we go. All right. So that was um, dying with dignity. And look, we can't escape racism discussions, indigenous issues, Stan Grant, Lydia Thorpe, all the usual characters. So we'll dip our toes into those topics a little bit now. Oh, hello in the chat room as well, Andrew and Anne. And I think I mentioned Bronwyn before. Bronwyn says in Victoria, we're about to have a review of our VAD legislation and how it has been working. Which is probably not before time because it's, I think Victoria was the first state that had it, wasn't it? One of the first, I think, yeah. or... I think New South yeah. Wales tried, but couldn't get it up. Might have been South Australia. Mm. Getting to that age. Yeah. I do remember how Dying With Dignity Queensland, who had a lot of money from the Clem Jones estate, yeah, used the money in other states because they figured it would help to get legislation passed in other states first because Queensland was never going to be the first. So they were... And I thought South South Australia was one of the states that they concentrated on in helping to pass legislation so as to get the ball rolling and make it easier for Queensland to just copy at a later stage. I think it was one of the first states that debated it, but Mm. I don't believe it was the first state that actually implemented it. I believe Victoria was the first one to implement it. Yeah. Can't remember. State, yes, but not territory. No, uh, territories have only just been given the right to Well, but Northern Territory had it in the 80s, didn't they? They yeah. had it in the 90s. It was the 90s. Okay. Mm. All right. Back to racism, which we really want to get into. <laughs> Again, Lydia Thorpe, one of your favourites, Scott. Oh, no, she's an idiot. She's now independent. Yeah, she's Green Senator. the Greens. She's accused the Greens of racism and will lodge a case with the Australian Human Rights Commission. This was an article in the AAP. It didn't exactly say specifically what she was claiming was the racism that she had been subjected to. She says, I've experienced racism all my life in every workplace and the Greens were no different. Last week, she claimed ex-colleague Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young failed to stand up to racism in the party directed towards her and Senator Hanson-Young rejected the accusation. So a bit further on the article, Lydia Thorpe makes the point that she's not sure what she's doing with the referendum. She doesn't want to support it because it gives no power. We want real power. We want to acknowledge as sovereign 
We want to be acknowledged as sovereigns in this country, just as the Crown is acknowledged as a sovereign. So she wants more. She's accusing the Greens of racism. Wonder what will happen there, the actual accusation of racism. Can I just say something just potentially a little bit controversial about okay, Lydia Okay, provided it's not defamatory. So no, whatever you like, Scott. It's not defamatory. I just think to myself, is she just a little bit like a hammer that sees everything as a nail? Mm. You know, is she actually looking for racism? Well, there's Could also, I, I wonder, there have been some very, very publicly reported outbursts and you wonder, is she losing the plot or is this just the reporting? Yeah, mm. are, are they blowing something that is perfectly normal out of context? Blowing yeah, it up? Yeah, that's a good point. Or, or is she really just spoiling for a fight and finding a fight wherever she can? Yep, it could be selective reporting. Yes. Who knows? No, exactly. That's the problem. We, ne- we don't know where the truth lies in so many things. We can only just have a rough Yeah, guess. exactly. The way she's been reported, it certainly looks like she's a little bit unhinged. Mm. That's uh, the impression from the reporting, but yeah. Yeah, but you ha- can't having, be certain of that. I was going to say, having seen reporting and the, the misrepresentation in the press, mm. uh, it's always at the back of my mind, you know, is this what they're really like or uh, are we painting a monster because that's what we want? Mm. Mm. Anyway. In the chat room, Alison says Victoria was the first state to introduce voluntary assisted dying. There we go. Yes, I thought it was. There we go. All right. Well, on the topic of racism in Australia, the essential poll came out. So I'm just going to share the screen that I've got here, which might be a bit difficult to see if you're on the tiny phone. But so they're polling people about racism in Australia. And the question was, To what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statements about racism in Australia? And the first one was, people are scared to say what they really think because they don't want to be labelled as racist. And 67% of people would agree with that statement. I think Australia is less racist than it has been in the past. 50% agree with that. Australia is a racist country. 41% agree with that. A member of my family has experienced racism or racial discrimination. 32% of Australians say that. I have personally experienced racism or racial discrimination. 31% agree with that. And I feel torn between my identity with Australia and another culture. 19%. Scott or Joe, have you ever... I experienced racism or racial discrimination? No, I never have. Joe? No. Right. But then but you're possibly asking the wrong people. Because well, exactly. You know, yes. By looking at us both, you can tell that we are both. Can't tell by looking at people, Scott. White, white in a white country. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, although, yes. having said that, you know, my, my grandfather was a Jew. Mm. It's possible to get. Anti-Semitism. Yes. The only, actually, I have experienced braces, uh, and that was in North Africa, where yes. I was, yeah, I was given additional screening coming into Tunisia on my Jewish antecedents. Yes. 
Really? Yep. Mm. I remember on I did that interview for that Russian television. What was that? Yes. Russia Today or whatever? RT, yes. And in the comment section, they thought I was Jewish and had a big nose. Does that count? I can also remember when I was about 18 and I was at the, the Victoria Bridge in Brisbane and there was an, an Indigenous street march and this Indigenous woman was yelling at me, calling me a white so-and-so, saying she just, I was just standing on the footpath watching him go by and, and got insulted. I guess that probably counts, but not genuine. I found being in, when I was in New York and we were staying in Harlem, and that was a good experience because we were the minority as white mm. people wandering around in Harlem. So we stood out as different. So that was a good experience to have. I, I was going to say a lot of the Asian cultures are very racist. Mm. But, but again, generally the white people get a free pass. Mm. It tends yes. to be racist towards other you know, dark-skinned mm. people. And even in Africa, I know that there's problems with the Indian migrant communities that were brought in under British colonial rule mm. and tend to be the merchant class. And there's a lot of racism because of that. Mm. You know, the, the blacks against the browns, effectively. Mm. I, as, I was going to say, I, I think the European or the Western cultures are a lot less overtly racist than, mm. other, than other cultures and mm. certainly than we have been in the past. Jacinta Nampi Jimper Price for all of her faults, mm. uh, particularly on economics, she tells us because she is married to a white man or is a white partner and she's often quoted as saying that her husband has experienced more racism than she has when he walks around the streets of Alice Springs being called a white so-and-so by Indigenous people. And another friend of ours was a white nurse who did some work in Mount Isa and came home, language warning, dear listener, came home and said to her mother, Mum, why didn't you tell me I'm a stupid white cunt? She said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, that's what the Indigenous people tell me in the hospital as I'm trying to help them out. So suffered enormous racial insults as a nurse in Mount Isa Hospital trying to help Indigenous people out. So, anyway, who yeah, knows I think in those statistics? I, Sorry, I think on. anybody who is felt as another, as an outsider, mm. he's going to get some form of mm. different treatment. Mm. Julia in the chat room says, I was subjected to racism when I lived in Japan sometimes. Some restaurants just ignored me if I was there with Western friends and served Japanese customers who came in afterwards. But generally they were favourably disposed to me, which I didn't really want either. So got some negative and some unwanted positive as well. So, I mean, you know that in Japan you cannot become a naturalised Japanese citizen. And if you have a child with a Japanese citizen, the child is automatically Japanese. And as far as Japanese law is concerned, parents have 100% rights to the child if you divorce. Say that again. I don't, I don't understand that. Say that so, again. so if you have a child with someone, a partner who is Japanese. Yes. And you end up getting divorced. Yes. Under Japanese law, they get 100% custody. 
are, are the, ha- the Japanese icons. Yes, um, because the characters. child is automatically Japanese. Compared to the non-Japanese, right, okay. Yeah, so, so there are some very weird racist laws in some parts of the world. Right. Yeah, yeah well, Japan won't actually accept anyone that doesn't oh. have Japanese. Doesn't Julia, have Julia is saying you can become a naturalized citizen, as a Finnish guy did and became a local councillor. Okay, then it must be very, very difficult. My understanding was it, it wasn't a a possible thing, so maybe it's just very difficult. Mm. Julia's our Japanese expert. Yeah. She's saying she knows another woman who became a Japanese citizen. Good to have you on the chat yeah. there, Julia. You've chimed in at the right time, haven't you? Good. Yeah. Hello to Alison's mother as well. Beverly, I think. Bev. Yes. Oh, yeah. Bev. Good on you, Bev. Okay. So... No real surprises with those statistics. I mean, when it says I have personally experienced racism or racial discrimination, 31% of people agree with or say that's the case. Just um, breaking it down by... I mean, it, it's gone up by 4% since 2019. September 19, yes. So they did the same poll four years ago and there's been an increase by 4% of people who have personally experienced racism. Also, you know, to the question, Australia is a racist country, currently 41% think so, but four years ago, only 36% thought so. Mm. Just, I, I know they have these split up by gender and stuff like that. Gender, there wasn't much difference, all pretty much male and female, very similar responses to all those questions. Age was the one where older people were more likely to say, People are scared to say what they really think because they don't want to be labelled as a racist. So 78% of 55-year and older people thought that. And they were also, the old ones were the least likely to be torn between their identity of Australia and other culture. And voting intention. Are there any surprises here? To the question, people are scared to say what they really think because they don't want to be labelled as racist. If you were going to vote independent or other party, 88% of people agreed with that. That's got to be your Pauline Hanson's type mm. in there. And uh, Although she wasn't afraid to say what she thought. No. It's, Australia's a racist country. Greens voters, 61% would agree with that. But of the coalition, only 28% would agree it, with you, that. You have to wonder... Of the Greens voters, how many have actually travelled outside of the country? Where they would have been potentially facing discrimination, is that what you mean? Or 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 compared to other countries? I was going to say compared to other countries, what the level of racism is. Yes. Like I said, I I had had an Indian colleague I was talking to about this, and he said Australia, by international standards, is not a racist country. It's not perfect, but there are considerably worse places. Depends how people read the question, because yeah. you could find racism anywhere. Yes. You could find some in Antarctica amongst some scientists there for sure. But it's, you know, you would read the question as saying, is it relatively more racist than normal, I guess? Or, I don't know, how do people read that question is the other thing. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, is, more, it, is there racist. any racism or is it mm. worse than other countries? Yes, or is it worse than an acceptable level should be? Possibly. Who knows how people read it. Mm. Anyway, that was Essential Poll on racism. We've got more from Essential Poll on other stuff coming up. Um, 
Right. Okay. Sarah Hansen. So back to Sarah Hansen Young. So she was accused by Lydia Thorpe of not supporting her in terms of the racism that she'd faced. So while on the topic of Sarah Hansen Young, she was at some Senate committee hearing where they were talking to ABC management and she was grilling the ABC management about why the ABC management is so accommodating to News Corp journalists. So let's play a little bit of what she had to say. From where I sit, News Corporation have been attacking the ABC for years. Wait on. Yeah, I can hear it. Did you hear that? I couldn't hear that for some reason. And let me just change something which might be why I didn't hear it and I need to hear it, obviously. Yeah, let me just change this on my own personal computer. So now hopefully I'll hear it as well as everyone else. basic sport for them. Beat up on the public broadcaster and they have a they have a track record of going after individuals. They've done it to women. They've done it to women of colour. They've done it to First Nations people. They go after them. They whip up the frenzy of haters and then they sit back and watch good people be torn down. And you can't sit here today and tell me that you haven't seen that pattern happen until now. Surely. This is not new. So, a few things, Senator. The first is the Murdoch family and the ABC have had an interesting relationship since the 1930s. So, there's nothing new there. Secondly, the the coverage of the ABC and the criticism of the ABC's coverage was not limited to News Corp. Nine and other publishers were very critical as well. Do we see the nine newspapers trawling through ABC journalists' social media feeds? I'm not sure. Why does the ABC continue to provide a platform for representatives from News Corporation when they so clearly, as a corporate entity, have such disdain for the public broadcaster? There are some good journalists at News Corp. We've we've got good journalists in our ranks that have come from News Corp. You know, I get there's a valid question as to as to would we think about it, but there are some some journos that we do want to pull on to, whether it's insiders or whether we have Q and A, whether it's the drum for for we are seeking their view and perspective. This management at ABC is completely out of touch, I think. And I think the producers of those programs who are employed to line up panellists who will be interesting are just lazy and they just reach for the same Rolodex. Well, I, I in... think they're scared and they're, ref- they're unwilling to admit that they're scared of getting lambasted in the Murdoch press. You get lambasted anyway. Well, exactly. They're not going to hold well, back. What she was saying, she was just saying that they uh, that they make a sport out of it. Yeah, and you know the number of times Greg Sheridan gets trotted out onto yeah. these programs, and it's you know he has nothing interesting to say. He's got two answers to everything. It's either submarines or it's God, and 
And that's it for Greg Sheridan. That's his solutions to everything. It's, he's, he gets trotted out. I think a lot of these producers are just lazy and just reach for the same old ones. There's all sorts of really interesting people. For example, any number of the writers in the John Menadue blog, who I read all the time, would be far more interesting than these Murdoch hacks that they keep bringing out. But, well, it's like that bloke you're talking about from Crikey before. If they actually, mm. if they actually rolled him out every now and again. Yes. Guy Rundle. Mm. Yeah. Uh, some interesting people. There is lots of interesting people out there in Australia and you don't have to keep dipping into the Murdoch well for a panellist. Just use some energy and, you know, you'll improve your show, but I think they're just, they're lazy. Just harking back, just the thing about the adoption thing, Julia, our Japanese expert, said it's, it's not common. You're not wrong about child custody. It's horrible and wrong. There you go. So some confirmation of, mm-hmm. of, that, of that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the it's not common is about becoming a Japanese citizen. Right. Okay. So there we go. So good on Sarah Hansen Young for sticking it to the ABC management. Just based on their response, can't see much changing. I've given up on the ABC. It's really, what can you watch? Not much. Ah, okay. Now, maybe Bronwyn can help us, our Victorian expert, Bronwyn. <laughs> As I got from this article here, Bang Jarang and Wiradjuri woman, Auntie Geraldine Atkinson, cast her vote on the opening day of voting for the second iteration of the First People's Assembly of Victoria. So the inaugural co-chair of the assembly spoke of her pride in being involved in a democratic process that allowed the original peoples of Victoria to have a say on policies that directly impacted them. I'm actually not up to date on what that assembly is. She's quoted as saying, Aboriginal people are the experts on our own lives. We know what we need to create a better future for our people. That's a very common sentiment that I see in these things. I was going to say they're claiming special knowledge, aren't they? Aboriginal people are the experts on our own lives. White people are the experts on white people's lives. Does that that ring true? Mentally Um, ill people are the experts on mentally ill people's lives. hmm. We know what we need to create a better future for our people. White people know what white people need to create a better future for our people. Does that, does that make sense? Does that sound right? No. Swap out words, put others in. Do they still make sense? Do they still ring true? Maybe not. It's, it's that sort of sentiment that is just dangerous, wrong. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the, as a mother I know, Mm, dismissing yes. di- dismissing the opinion of pediatricians. Yes. Or as a Christian, I know what true love is. For, you know, well, like, possibly, <laughs> that too. Yes. Oh, okay. Stan Grant gave Stan a bit of a hard time. Bronwyn's saying that we should consult with them, and I, I yeah. don't disagree. We should consult with them, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the experts. Y- yes. And we've had that. Yes, exactly. It's not about consultation. It's the notion that we know what's best for our people. Yes. Yes, because yeah. what are our people they, want are, you know, is always they... the same as well. And, and, and then our this... people would all want the same thing. 
this has been a problem in the UK where Islamic bodies have been consulted on the Islamic community. Yes. And the most vocal people have been those who say, oh, well, you know, we should have areas that don't have any alcohol. And there are Muslims who drink. Yes. And they're saying, we feel excluded. We don't feel included in this process. And who are these unelected spokespeople? Hmm. Bronwyn, you can ask. It's not about not consulting, but it's the notion that that people they know best. think the same and that, like, do the people who voted for Scott Morrison at the last election really know what they're doing when it comes to the best thing for this country? You know, people make mistakes about what they think is best for themselves and for others. And they think differently. They don't all think the same. This is the notion that I'm trying to get through as being abhorrent to me. I'm not saying don't consult, but consultation doesn't mean accept everything everybody says as being correct because it's not necessarily the case. It's like... I tend to agree with what Bronwyn's saying. I think we've Mm. got, you know, I don't have a problem with consultation, so I'm exactly Neither do I, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not saying don't consult. So I, I agree we're at cross purposes here. So, mm. all right, Stan Grant. So we bagged him a bit this week. And there were some positive statements said about Stan Grant. So I thought I would balance things up a little bit. And here's one article from the John Menadue blog, just to even things up. This guy says, I have enormous respect for Stan Grant, always intelligent, thoughtful, and provocative. He has been an important contributor to intellectual life in Australia. His strength has been to move discussions on from the sterile economism and superficial secularism that characterises so much of our national dialogue to the deeper philosophical and spiritual issues underpinning Australian culture. I'm reading this and I'm going, crikey, this is a very pro- Stan Grant article, and it went on about the reference that Stan made to Bajami and God and, and how you've got to be careful. We shouldn't immediately slip into Western theological equivalents for complex Aboriginal words and concepts, blah, blah, blah. Read on, 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 and, and then I realised, who wrote this? Oh, it's Paul Collins, a historian, broadcaster and writer and a Catholic priest for 33 years. So that kind of explained his pro-Stan stance, particularly when it came to the spirituality side of Stan. Another one who wrote in favour of Stan was Helen Graswell, a Walkley, Logies and Human Rights award-winning journalist and a founder of the ABC alumni. She describes Stan, his eloquent and deeply moving farewell comments at the end of Monday's Q&A were typical of his depth and the deep humanity that drives him. I didn't think it was deep at all. Anyway, a couple of negative, well, they were positive, but then there was a great article, I thought, in Crikey, which was by Guy Rundle. And I quite like Guy Rundle when he writes on different things. He's got a good turn of phrase. And he wrote an article which was negative and sort of dismissive of Stan Grant. And as you would think, Crikey's kind of a left, left-wingish sort of publication. 
And reading through the comments, and there were a lot, nearly all basically agreeing with Guy Rundle and the sentiment of what he was saying. And so a bit of a flavour of what Guy Rundle was saying on Stan Grant. Were you to write a satire of our current situation, it might go something like this. A leading journalist and presenter who made his career as a pioneer of tabloid TV that went after dull bludgers, single mothers, etc., reinvents himself as an upmarket presence. Though he, has never denied, though he has never denied his First Nations heritage as he makes the media market transition, it becomes a more prominent part of his public identity and of his output, increasingly the performance of his own pain at the country's racist history becomes a focus for the national discussion of where we should go. When, as a de facto leader of this process, he is attacked by his opponents on a reactionary spite slum TV station with 30,000 viewers, he quits a public network with millions of viewers, denouncing the entire organisation. At his last appearance, a show designed to hear from a range of viewpoints by Australian opinion makers and the public is reorganised so that he can make a final performance of his Agon, at which he announces that it is not racism at all, but the media in general, and he himself to blame, for which he gets a standing sustained ovation. Have I missed anything? He says, look, Stan Grant is clearly not a bad guy, but he's been a TV presenter for decades, and inevitably he has a touch of narcissism, which is to on-air types what black lung is to coal miners. You're just going to get it sooner or later, so you may as well plan for it. That's the turn of phrase that's worth reading and looking for. Love that turn of phrase there. Oh. See, I just think that if he turned up on Q&A, mm -hmm. not all the time, but just mm. every six months or something like that, that would give it a, a real shot in the arm. Yeah. Just quickly, I've looked in the chat room. Shailene says, excuse me, Trevor, you've liked some of the stuff Stan wrote. I have. But I've also said he's, over time, I said he's very consistent, inconsistent. So he did write some stuff occasionally that I did agree with, saying, that just goes to show I don't have it against Stan himself. If he actually comes up with a good idea, I'm all for him. But he's very inconsistent. Quoted, oh, just trying to think, some really bad people have been quoted in the past on here. Yes. Because sometimes they're right. Well, Scott's got the saying, a stopped clock is correct yes. twice a day. You exactly. Coming up with that one, Scott. Yeah. Mm. So, so, yeah, Stan Grant has occasionally come out with stuff. In this article, goes on a bit with that flavour. I won't read it all. It's in the show notes for people who are interested. But I will like, read the last concluding paragraph here or towards the end. While all this goes on, the 70% or so of non-Indigenous Australians outside the now utterly self-serving, self-involved knowledge class watch in amazement. Some wish black people well. Most can see that there are wrongs to be righted. Some are indifferent. But almost none caught in the daily struggle of raising families, making a living, dealing with rising costs, squeezing wages, housing shortages, a strained healthcare system, inadequate childcare, aged relatives without a real state system of care, and much more, see this issue as absorbing or crucial to their life on this continent in the way that the elites within the knowledge class have made it to be. 
So that was the Guy Rundle version of that. So, so there we go. Still on Stan Grant. Probably had enough of Stan, I think. What are they saying in the chat room? You guys are going off this time, which is good. Comparisons with Guy Rundle and Hitchens. Hitchens? There's... What's the comparison? Well, it was a Hitchens-esque turn of phrase was the ah, okay. comment. There we go. It was, yeah. Scott, Tina yeah. Turner passed away. Yes, she did. Mm. And apparently Australia, Australia honoured her by doing what for city limits. Yes. Mm. Popular one. There was a program on Sunday night, Channel 9. It was like a movie of her life type thing. Mm-hmm. And I was, I got about halfway through it. I rarely watched, watch commercial TV. Mm. And the ad breaks were incessant. And so I started counting the ads and the ad breaks on Channel 9 during the Tina Turner thing had 16 different ads in an ad, in one ad break. And this was happening. In the past, I've noticed the first, the first half an hour, you might get an ad break, Mm. but as you get further and further, as you get more and more involved in a program, the more ads they throw at you. Yes, that's right. And they seem to be able to present an average when they need to say how much they do, but you're right. I just couldn't watch it in the end. That's why I don't watch any sort of mainstream TV anymore. Well, can't watch the ABC, and, and based on that ad load, it was horrendous. Couldn't I? Couldn't I was quite enjoying the show, but it was so dominated by ads, I couldn't stand it anymore. Mm. Anyway, one of the things in there was she was married to Ike, mm-hmm. and he, she was a victim of abuse, physical abuse from him mental and physical, I guess, and eventually split up with him. And she wrote a book hoping that it would just, because she was always getting asked in interviews about Ike and how she broke away from him and blah, blah. She thought, I'll write a book. I'll tell the whole story. Then people will stop talking about it. She wrote the book. Then people just wanted to keep asking about it, asking about it. And she just got exasperated where she was like, I don't want to be yeah, identified by him and what happened to me. I want to move on and talk about what I'm going to do in the future, not what happened to me in the past. Yeah. And is something in that for everybody? I have to say, growing up in the 80s, after all that happened, I really wasn't aware of it. You, you yeah. weren't aware of Tina Turner's the, the whole interview. Ike Turner thing, I right. I just knew Tina Turner as Tina Turner, you know, welcome to the, no, the, the Mad Max 4, I think, yeah. beyond the, the Thunderdome, something yeah. like that. Because you knew her when she, she sort of reignited her career. Basically. Which, yeah, because of your age. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. The, the whole Ike Turner thing just, mm. I, I became vaguely aware of it later, but certainly at the time there was nothing about it. Right. See, I only just learned about Ike Turner probably in the last 12 months. You know, yes. I just started to research some of the celebrities of old, you know, and 
I thought to myself, okay, I'll look into Tina Turner next. That's when I found out about Ike Turner. And I thought to myself, what a prick. Yeah. Joe Jackson's another one. Joe bashed, Jackson. He bashed his wife, did he? Mike, Michael Jackson. Oh. Uh, yeah, the Jackson Five, the father. Yes, the father, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was apparently a real prick. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Bunch of them. Shay in the chat room says, you must be the pits to watch TV with, referring to me. <laughs> See, I don't have that problem with commercials because I watch everything streamed, you know, and the only thing that I ever do have to put up with commercials on is when I watch something on SBS, or, you yeah. know, and I actually, I watch that streamed because you can't fast forward the commercials there. Mm. Yeah. There we go. Roman says, watch the commercial streaming services instead. They still have ads, but fewer of them. Okay. Yeah, I can understand that. You know, if you're watching the nine go, isn't it? Yes. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the things that sort of Tina Turner was famous for in Australia was with the NRL mm -hmm. and simply the best and mm -hmm. great sort of clips of, of hunky footballers running up and down sand hills and in Tina DTs. Turner. Yeah. Yes. All that sort of stuff. Which is a little segue to the other thing in this report from, or this poll by Essential, which was about sports betting advertising. And the question that has come up is, which of the following is closest to your view on sport betting advertising? So it should be allowed at all times, even during sporting events. Should be allowed, but not during sporting events. Sports betting advertising should be banned altogether and unsure. These were the possible responses people were given. And overall, 16% of Australians said sports betting advertising should be allowed at all times. 26% said not during the events. And 43% said it should be banned altogether. That seemed to me a high percentage willing to ban it, which was quite pleasing to me because I'd be happy to see it banned. I think it's unhealthy for our community to have it there. Well, I agree with you. Mm. Joe, any thoughts on sports betting? I, I, for you? I, I think that there are a lot of problem gamblers in this country mm. and the level of gambling, I believe, although it tends to be more pokies than sports, is amongst the highest, if not the highest in the world. Yeah, certainly the pokey one would be amongst the older generation and the sports betting would be amongst the younger generation. But, but yeah, I, I have no problem with the government banning advertising like they have with tobacco. Mm, that's how I see it. Looking at that statistics broken up by gender, not a great deal of difference. Females more likely to want it banned, but also females more likely to be unsure. Age is an interesting one. Older demographic, older people. If in the 55 plus category, 56% want it banned altogether. And, but in the 18 to 34%, only 28% feel the same way. I, I wonder whether the older people are seeing it more on television, whereas younger generations don't consume their media in the same way so are they as affected yeah but the younger people would be having to watch the nrl match 
either on Nine or Fox, the same as the older people. And, and is, is it direct advertising or is it just around the, the banners around the field that they're mm. seeing? Yeah. It didn't say in this poll. That's the yeah. problem with all these questions. But it does just give you an indication that older people were more willing to have it banned. Possibly because they're not actually because using. Because they're, they're watching the television. That's the thing that would. Be, yeah, well, that's that my question. Mm. Are, the, are the younger people watching it on the internet and using ad blockers? Mm. Don't know. Anyway, voting intention not a great deal of difference. So anyway, seems like a relatively high figure to me of people happy to treat sport betting advertising like tobacco advertising. So. Yeah, that's how I view it. A blight on our society. Get rid of them from the advertising world anyway. All right. We really are chopping and changing all over the place on this episode. Submarines, I mentioned briefly before about Greg Sheridan. There was an open letter with 110 signatures, basically from these professors at universities to the government saying, what the hell are you doing with this AUKUS and the submarines? It makes no sense. Please review this decision. It's ridiculous. So that open letter started with 110 signatures. Could be more by now. Also, Scott, Scott Morrison has declared a royalties advance. He had to declare income on his register of members' interests. He's still a member of parliament. Apparently, he's writing an an upcoming memoir. Yeah, okay, I won't bother. Right. Um, you know, he, he was the know-nothing prime minister of our time and all that sort of thing. It's, uh, you know, Turnbull released a book, didn't he? Mm -hmm. They all have. Yeah, I know, they all have. But I just thought to myself that Turnbull had actually something to say, but Morrison's got nothing to say, you know. Well, and Kevin you... Rudd also released a book which is a load of nonsense, but he's released it in two volumes, hasn't he? Kevin Rudd? Yeah. I don't know. I think the interesting thing about Scotty's book is the publisher. Yes. Who is? HarperCollins Christian, wasn't it? Yes. HarperCollins Christian Publishing. Yes. It's, it's going to be a devotion to Jesus. Exactly. Hmm. You know, it's actually the only one that never actually put pen to paper was Paul Keating. Yeah, he didn't write an autobiography. There's been plenty of biographies, I guess, but he yeah, there's been know. plenty. There's been plenty of stuff written about him, but he never actually went out and did his own vanity project. Uh, I was going to say, how many of them actually wrote their biographies, autobiographies, and how many had a ghostwriter write them? Yes, I don't know. I think Scott Morrison will be relying heavily on a ghostwriter. So. Yeah. Anyway, we've got that to look forward to at some stage. Payroll tax. This is where we love the dictator Dan in Victoria. More than 130 independent and Catholic schools in Victoria are expected to lose their long-held exemption to payroll tax in an Andrews government measure to reduce the state's debt. He said the private schools have had a sweetheart taxation deal that was not affordable anymore. Guess what? Catholic Education Commission said the tax would probably apply to 25 Catholic secondary schools, potentially wiping up to $1 million a year from the operating budgets. Jewish schools have raised the alarm about the new tax. 
warning that it could put the put the cost for Jewish education out of the financial reach for many families. Mm. Too there bad. Eight, so sad. There are eight independent Jewish schools in Melbourne. Most well, of which we can't get our special fees. privileges. Yes. I think they'll find a way. Mm. If God cares, he'll intervene. Yes. Anyway, that's where I love Dictator Dan. Like, he's prepared to do things like this and show yeah, the others how it's done. Despite the fact that he's Catholic himself. Yes. Indeed. You know, he recognises... He recognises the value quality. of a secular society. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very good. I hope he's still got plenty of energy because that Mark McGowan in Western Australia resigned basically mm. saying he's run out of gas. Just yeah, tired. he's bugging. Mm. Hopefully Dictator Dan can keep going. Mm. Show the rest of them how it's done. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, Watley in the chat room says, holy ghost writer. Not just a ghost writer, but a holy ghost writer. Well done, Watley. Only Watley. In the Ukraine, Buck, Bakhmut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fallen properly to the Russians. Has it actually fallen properly to the exactly. Russians? It's one of those things. I don't think we can be 100% guaranteed that it's fallen because you've got the head of the Russian, I can't remember his name. Because the, Wag, the Wagner Group, whatever. Yeah, the Wagner Group, yeah. He hasn't he handed said, it over yet. Is that what you mean? No, he, reckon, he reckons that it has fallen to him and he's about ready to hand it over to the Russian army. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see whether or not there's anything left to hand over to them. Yeah. Well, he was giving up, wasn't he? Well, he actually, allegedly, he, he, allegedly he said to the Ukrainians, I'll tell you where the Russians are so you can pick them off, but you've just got to get out of Bakhmud, out of the way. Right. Yeah. But, but also he said, oh, Putin's not giving me enough weapons and ammunition. Exactly. Um, he, I, he's I'm taking, the dumb. I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. And he did. Mm. Mm. So you have to take what he says with a pinch of salt. Oh, yes. good. You have to take it with him bag of salt more than a pinch of salt well we don't see too many too much footage of of ukrainian generals standing in bakhmut saying we're still here we no. haven't left yet it's just a flesh wound mm-hmm. i haven't seen much of that but just tens of thousands of lives just it is a yeah absolutely it's a, war, it's a war it's, of attrition yeah uh, and that's, which that's the russians will probably take this out in the long run because they are prepared to slaughter thousands and thousands of their own people. And so know, is Zelensky. Sorry? So is Zelensky. He's well, prepared I, to slaughter I, them I, as well. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, but the but, only option the only option is to sit down and negotiate with with Vladimir Putin. Now, hmm. let's have a look at Vladimir Putin's history of negotiated settlements. He has ignored every single one of those negotiated settlements that has ever been put before him. And don't forget, the Russians are conscripts. The Ukrainians are volunteers. Volunteers, mm. exactly. There's so, there's a huge just, so difference. Killing the best and brightest of the Ukrainians. Yeah. Mm. And killing the life prisoners in the Russian side. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't think history's going to treat Zelensky very well. It, it's, I, he I has, don't know. Un, he has wasted he's, lives. He's... Between a rock well, and a hard place. You know, what was he supposed mm. to do? Was he supposed to actually negotiate with, with, with Putin, was it? There'd be thousands of more Ukrainians still alive 
if you mm. uh, under Putin's rule. Exactly. No, no, no I that is the whole point. You know, you, you're just saying that. You know, if 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 you would, if you would, you know, I'm assuming that what you're saying is, if he agreed to walk out of those eastern provinces, which whose names escape me, if he walked out of there Donbass. and said, "Well, Donbass," if he'd said, "Well, you can have Donbass if you agree that this is the last territorial claim," sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. This is my last territorial claim in Europe. Yeah. When was those last words spoken? Yeah, peace in our time. By Hitler. Yeah. What's the worst that happens? What's the worst? It couldn't that be worse. It wouldn't be worse Ukraine, than where Ukraine they are. It wouldn't be worse than where they are now. Where, where they are right now, it well, could have been. It could have been where Putin says, "Well, thanks very much. We'll take all this area, and we're going to keep going." The, the question right. is, and, and the question at the moment, is whether the Russian people have had enough and will overthrow Putin. Well, that's, that's what Zelensky is banking on. If that's what he's banking on, well, he's, in, he's crazy. You can't bank on that. How could you bank well, on that? Well, well, I, don't th- I don't think you can bank he, he on should it have either. Said, we're he, gonna he, lose... I don't think you can bank on it either because it is a fascist state. He, he should he, have said, he, we're going to lose 10,000 lives. We might as well just retreat now and save those lives but, but, and but hope that they agree to Retreat now them. and he'll invade again and push for another area in another two years, four years. But, Whatever. But he could do that now. Yeah, so he, well, no, he so, can't. Yes, he can. For, can't no, he's the, he's the been forced to a standstill. The West has backed up, has backed up only, Zelensky to the point where they're now armed with the so, best and best tanks in the he, world. He took and Ukraine. And negotiating F-16s in there too, which will, which will both bolster the Ukrainian army to the point that the Russians He, he took Crimea illegally. Mm-hmm. And and then he took the Donbass because illegally, yes. Uh, and so so what's the next step? So fine, they cede him the Donbass, uh, and then in another five years he char- yeah carves off another slice of Ukraine, and then another one. And what's next? Which He's he could do, Belarus. which he could still do, which he could still oh. do. Even now, he could carve off another slice. The point is, there would still there'd be ten thousand more Ukrainians alive. Uh, the, it, They've just been wasted on this meat grinder. Well, it's it's are they wasted now or are they wasted if, another five years? If, if Zelensky had succeeded in stopping, then you might have an argument. But he failed, so all those lives have been lost. There, the Russian line is ex- stopping. He has succeeded a hell. No, he no. has. Yeah, you you were talking about the Russian line is where where the they Russian wanted. Army. Uh, the, the Russian, Russians wanted Kiev. No, they, they the got, Russians. They got, they got as the far Russians as Kiev no, kicked out. No, the Russians said, "Give us the Donbass, give us Crimea, change your constitution that you won't join NATO, and we're out of here. That's all. We're that we're done. Yeah. That's what they. That's what they said from day one. And if he had have agreed to that, the uh, Russian line would be. But what did they say in twenty fourteen? If he'd agreed to that, the Russian line would be right where it is now, and he'd have tens of thousands of Ukrainians alive. And not pushing up poppies in the mud in the Ukraine. He wasted those lives in a meat grinder. He was always, and it was always going to happen. And you say, oh, if it agreed to that, then the Russians could say, thanks very much. Now we're going to carve off a bit more. Well, they can still do that. Yeah. He's, he's just wasted the lives. It's not going to treat him very well, in my opinion. But we'll agree to disagree. And probably in the chat room, I think. People are disagreeing with me more than usual. But anyway, 
No, you got Watley there. Yeah. He's, he's backing yeah, you. Yeah, Ro Roman's agreeing with you, Scott. Uh, yeah, I so, know. So, yeah, mixed bag in the chat room, which is good to see. But you mentioned, Scott, that mm. about F-16 fighters. Mm. So now the Biden administration has said, yep, we're happy for the Ukraine to have F-16 fighter jets. The problem is the training is going to take so long. Yes. And they haven't actually said where they're coming from. <laughs> like, they haven't actually said they're going to be American F-16s. They might be from some other country or whatever. But the Americans have said, yeah, okay, you can have some. This is what will potentially lead to World War Three, because according to this article from Caitlin Johnston, Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, made it clear that Washington would approve of US weapons being used in an offensive to recapture Crimea. A horrifying prospect for many experts have agreed it is the most likely scenario to lead to nuclear warfare in this conflict. And But international law says that Crimea is Ukrainian. So it's an illegal occupation by the Russians. Mm-hmm. And if the Russians wanted to defend something that was illegally taken, they're the only ones that are armed with nukes in that part of the world. So if anyone's going to use nukes first, it'll be the Russians that use it. Well, the point is, if the US is going to start supplying F-16 fighter jets to the Ukraine and say, mm -hmm. start bombing Crimea with them or attacking them, that's an escalation that's yeah, exactly. not going and to be good. That is why I think and it is possibly a little bit too far to provide F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Because it could actually, it could actually embolden the Ukrainians to try and take back Crimea. Mm. Well, yeah. they're being told, go ahead, you yeah, can do the it. The Ukrainians want Crimea. The yeah. question is, do, Crimea. Do, whatever do you, happened to democracy, though? I mean, do you believe that the strikes on the Kremlin were false flags? The drone strikes on yeah. the Kremlin. No opinion about it, but it could be, could have been anything. They're just drone strikes. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the Ukrainians suddenly managed to operate that far inside of Russia's borders. Ukrainian sympathisers would be within the Russian borders. I think, that, I think you're drawing a very long bow there, Trevor. Me? To say that yeah. there are Ukrainian sympathisers in Russia? That's that have, a long bow. That have you might own a drone. That have own the a drone that would be a military-style drone. Exactly. What did, it, what did it do? Yeah. What did it do? It blew up, but close to the Kremlin, but not actually in the Kremlin, and nobody was injured. So it dropped a small bomb of some sort. It doesn't require uh, a great deal of, you know, it, 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 so it that's wasn't, not like blowing up a, a Nord Stream pipeline. Put it that it, way. it wasn't a homemade. No, no, I. It it, it, this didn't require state level actors. It doesn't seem too hard to me to sneak a drone into. Russia and get some sympathisers to fly it over the Kremlin and cause mischief. That doesn't, that, that to me, what, what are you guys saying? That the Kremlin did it as a false flag? Oh, I think that's considerably more likely. Why? Oh, absolutely. Because, because, because they're trying to prove to their citizens that they're in the right, that this horrible Ukraine is picking right. a fight with Russia and Russia is defending itself. And they would have got it. And that the Jewish president of Ukraine is a Nazi. Is a Nazi. Yes. <laughs> uh, so they would have got the drone to drop a bomb over a children's hospital. That's what you would do if you were trying to do that. Yeah. In the chat room, is it a false flag? Who who dropped the bomb on the Kremlin? Was it 
Ukrainian sympathisers or was it a false flag Russian well, um, operation? And there have there have been a number of false flag videos on yeah. Telegram. Yes. Which has been proven that they were definitely Russians who were pretending to be Ukrainians. Yep. Yes. So, again, nothing would surprise me in this war. Yes. Yes. There's there's only one thing that would surprise me if it turned out that it wasn't the United States who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. That would astound me because I'm convinced it was them. But anyway, it's heading in a bad direction with F-16 fighters being given to the Ukrainians and being told to attack the people of Crimea who... As I understand it, according to a democratically held election, decided they wanted to be Russian, but democratically elected. Yeah, a democratic when, democratic referendum that was supervised when, by when the you, Russian when government. When you've cleansed an area of the people who used to live there and put your citizens in, and then, then poll them as to whether they very, want to be. Where does ah? Oh, so we're all very confident about this, are we? Are we you know, super confident that, in fact, yeah, Crimeans okay. wanted well, to stay look at the in result, the UK. Oh, look can at the we be so confident? The Donbass referendum, which was a 90% yes to becoming part of Russia. You know, It seems extraordinary that, that it couldn't be right. It couldn't be right. It's like Chinese who are happy with their government. It couldn't be right. It, it's quite possible. At their head. How do we know? We don't know where the truth is in this. Exactly. And I just think that given the ethnic naive to given the ethnic that a former KGB agent is all sweetness and light, he's a prick. Here's the point. We don't know because given the ethnic history of these regions, we don't it's it is possible. You can't be so convinced that there's no way they could have wanted to be part of Russia. Like, it's entirely possible. I don't know where the truth so, is, So I'm just, the who crime, knows? The, the Crimea, so don't forget Sevastopol is one mm. of R- Russia's three deep water naval bases. Mm. So the area around Sevastopol was always Russian troops. Mm. So if you poll Russian troops, of course they're going to say yes. Mm. And since the illegal annexation of Crimea in 2014, the number of Ukrainians who are in Crimea are muchly reduced. Yeah, would have left. And yes, the Russians have settled, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people, Mm. given them favourable tax breaks or whatever it is to go, hey, come and live in Crimea, it's great. Mm. So yeah, if you take the people who were there before and get rid of them and then stick in your population, of course they'll vote that, yes, Russia is great. And potentially there was a significant significant proportion of the population that did want to, did, did feel Russian and stayed. Like, Possibly. potentially. We don't know. I, I think it's impossible to know. The, de- the demographics yeah, will have changed. I think it's mm. impossible to know mm. because the Russians refuse to allow international observation. Of the- yes. Of the uh, poll. We'll never know. So, anyway, there's all food for thought out there. There's always two sides to a story. Yeah, it's two sides to every story, but I just think it's very naive of you to believe that a former KGB agent has grown up and become a a convert of sweetness and, 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 and light. I didn't would, say that. And would negotiate. I didn't say that. You're, you're putting words into my mouth. You're like, you're like, 
problem with the consulting story. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Putin is someone I would want to be under his control. But yeah, but you're saying that Ukraine should be under his control to, well, to save well, their lives. Well, it's quite possible that he's had a successful propaganda campaign that people feel that they want to be part of Russia and the Crimea. It's quite possible. Yeah, I, I think that Crimea is quite possibly. Yeah, I think Crimea so, is possibly right. It, but it, I honestly believe that ninety percent voting to become part of Russia out of the Donbass is a mm. little bit ridiculous. Mm. Well, perhaps fifty-five percent might want to. Yeah, fifty-five percent is a hell of a lot lower than ninety percent, though. Well, well, the point is, you know, we just don't know. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Where are we up to? You're just going to burn our ears out, aren't you? <laughs> ah, yes, I am. So, with the recent coronation, we had we had the Governor General's wife sang a oh, song. Good. Well, she's not singing, ce- is she? Celebrating the coronation, and oh, that Jesus was all man. over. Quick, where's Twitter. my mute button? And and unfortunately, dear listener, the audio of that of that performance really wasn't up to scratch. Oh dear. So I couldn't play it, but I have found this one where she was addressing a group about palliative care. With my Oh, I'll cut it short. You know, there, there should have been more of a trigger warning on that. Yeah, I think I think people got the idea. I think we got the the idea. All from Canberra won't be happy. We can be grateful that Mrs. Hurley didn't decide to lead her community sing along at the Abbey while. We're waiting for the king to arrive. Yeah. Anyway, Craigie had a good article listing the things that she has sung about, and actually, one of the lines here, because she she she's trying to get ideas into these songs and referring to organisations and stuff. And this writer in Crikey said, Joni Mitchell might have said. I cannot work the concepts of Centre for Invasive Species Solutions and Philanthropic Opportunities elegantly into a verse, let alone those exact words. But of course, Linda Hurley managed to do that. She just, uh, ah, what can you say? Stop. That's what you could say. Just stop. Look, for the man who's saying stop, it's you who's playing these bloody things. Mirth. <laughs> Because I'm trying to expose her to, to to create a wave of community outrage that will eventually lead to her stopping. That's that's why we talk about these things here. Rent crisis. Saturday paper had an article. Look, we're looking at why are rents so high? And because one of the theories put forward. What's that, Scott? There's merciless people like me that rent properties out. Yeah, well, people well, have always no, rented. People, it's people who don't rent properties out but own rental properties. Correct, Scott. You're the good guy in this because you've got properties it. and you're actually renting them out. Yeah, I suppose. 
So according to this from the Saturday paper, it says, we've never had more dwellings per head of population than we do now. We build between 160 and 240,000 new homes in Australia every year. That's more than enough to cope with population growth. The thing is they are increasingly big and empty homes. The average Australian dwelling has more than three bedrooms and newer homes have more than older ones. Meanwhile, the number of people living in them is declining from about 2.9 in the mid-80s to 2.5. And the pandemic has contributed to this as more people working from home requiring more space. Tens of thousands of spare bedrooms became home offices. On census night in 2021, more than 10% of dwellings, more than a million homes, were unoccupied. Many were second homes for wealthier Australians. Hmm. Yeah. Can't think of anybody who's got a second home. Yeah. Exactly. It's true. What's happening is boomers' parents are passing away. Boomers are inheriting their parents' place, which they've already got a mortgage paid off, and they think, oh, we'll have a holiday home. Or they've already got a holiday home. Like, yeah, lots of boomers with empty holiday homes. And um, Well, that was going to be my next question, was how many hmm. of those homes were in places that people actually want to live? Don't know. Because, um, yeah, if, if you have a million homes in the regional centres of Australia... Mm. Have they all moved into the big cities? Are there, is that why the homes are empty? They haven't really said that there's a problem with a imbalance between the regions and the city, but you know that is the case that people who are maybe sharing houses would be doing less people in a house because they need the bedrooms for a study, for an office, because they're working from home. So less people in homes and also, yeah, people owning multiple homes and having holiday houses, they could be renting out. So, Scott, you're the good guy in this because you've got, as the regional slumlord of Queensland, you're actually renting them out. You're the good guy. Yeah, I suppose. Mm. So, Essential Poll had some stuff about current housing system. Let me just find that. Current housing system, here it is. That's so. How good or bad do you think the current housing system is for the following groups? By housing system, we mean the laws and regulations that provide protection and benefits when owning or buying or selling or renting a residential property. And very good, good, neither good nor bad, bad, very bad. So it's asking, how good is the system for the following groups? And basically at the top there, People who already own their own own home, Australians, 43% of them think that the system works well, very good or very good for people who already own their own home. But for future generations, only 9% think that. So people recognising that the system helps current homeowners, but not future generation, not renters. Not Australia as a whole, but it does help people who own their own home or who invest in residential property. So nothing surprising there, I don't think. Gender-wise, 
not a great difference. Males are more likely to think that the system is beneficial for people who already own their own home or who invest in residential property. I was going to say, males would be marginally more likely to own an investment property. True. So, but even if you don't own one, you should understand that the system helps people who own one. Hmm. So, yeah. Age-wise, this is the one that got me, actually. So, older people understand that the system helps people who currently own their own home or who are investing. And they also acknowledged that it's really bad for future generations. But the younger generation was more likely to think that the system works well for future generations. I didn't understand. So I don't think... Because they've been indoctrinated? Yes, potentially that's it. I don't know why, but... That's really quite puzzling, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know why younger generation, 21% of have, have young people... Have you your younger generation? So, no, I haven't. So, but I've indoctrinated them as to how the system works. I think they've got a fair idea. Okay. Well, see, I've already apologized to my younger generation in my family and said, look, I'm very sorry, but like, I grew up at a time when it was cheap to buy property and I bought a property and I sold it for a, a mint. So, mm. you know... Mm -hmm. There's nothing I can do about that. Mm. Looking at options, measures that could be taken to make the system better and putting restrictions on foreign investment in real estate, it was 69% of people agreed with that. Putting a freeze on rental increases, 60% of people would either strongly support or somewhat support. So. That's an interesting one, Scott. On on placing a freeze on rental increases, 36% strongly supported and 24% somewhat supported. Only 17% were against it. There's a lot of don't knows there. Or, or neutrals. That seems quite a high number of people willing to look at rent freezes. Yeah, I know that. And I realise the Greens have got a hell of a lot of running on that, but if you listen to some of the economists out there, they will actually tell you it's a bad idea to actually put a rental freeze on there. Mm -hmm. I don't fully understand why, but they do actually say it's a bad idea. Hmm. The other one that interests me was the one, oh, capping the number of investment properties someone can own. 50% agreed with that. Well, I, I, what I am shocked about, and there you go, going back to Australia as a racist country. Mm. Place further restrictions on foreign investment in residential property. Yes, quite high, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, Just look, I, the foreigners. I what what I see, what I don't see on there, which is the one I've heard of, is charging higher rates on or higher tax levels on empty properties. Mm. Yep. On short short term lets, because apparently Airbnb has a, a bad impact. People are saying down the Gold Coast, particularly, mm. what used to be residential accommodation is now holiday accommodation because Airbnb just makes it so easy. Mm. And so effectively just charging higher rates on that to dissuade people, to make mm. it less, make it less profitable. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I again for for un, un, unoccupied properties just charge a an empty property fee yeah certainly councils now are charging higher rates for unoccupied properties mm-hmm. mm. yeah just by voting intention was there anything obviously actually again the independent party voters were were all up for really strong measures to 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 make changes, particularly restricting foreign investment. No what a shock! There. Yeah, sixty-four <laughs> percent of Greens voters would be in favour of a freeze on rental increases and capping the number capping the number of investment properties. Fifty-nine percent. Anyway, overall, I think fairly strong support for what would have been measures that. Really, five years ago would have been unthinkable, I reckon, Scott. Like oh, that sort sure. of government intervention into the market, I don't think Australians would have been as up for it as what they are now, seems to me. No, exactly. coming After all of this COVID sort of stuff where well, governments flexed. Actually, what a government is useful for. Yes. And we've actually learned that governments have a use. And so we can actually Used to telling this. people stuff. Mm. What they could and couldn't do. Exactly. And also, it's just becoming increasingly obvious. You know, you might be a teacher. First, say you're a first-year teacher on the Sunshine Coast. Really hard to find a place to rent that's within any sort of reasonable commute of a Sunshine Coast school. Like, there's just nothing to rent. Of course... It's all been let out, holiday letting on Airbnb. What's there is ridiculously expensive. So I think people are seeing enough personal examples of that. So, yeah, just to me, that that poll just showed a surprising willingness from a lot of people for fairly heavy government regulation that maybe wouldn't have been acceptable before. So there we go. How are we going for time-wise? 8.58? Oh, we're up Comes to the hour and a half. Yeah, no, we, well, I think that's almost enough, isn't it? What do I have here? Oh, look, because we are talking about Putin, I'll play this one. BRICS, Brazil, Russia. Russia India and China. India, China, and South Africa. South Africa. This is from the South African guy. So ANC General Secretary was being interviewed about Putin and Russia and the relationship. So I think I've got this one here because it's sort of relevant to our earlier discussion, which I didn't know we were going to do what we did. Let me just see. Here we go. Yeah, with me one second. Okay. Africa is a a treaty member of the International Criminal Court. If Putin comes here in August as planned, your government will be obliged to arrest him. As head of the ANC, do you believe your government should and indeed will arrest Vladimir Putin? If it was according to the ANC, we will want President Putin to be here even tomorrow. You would? to 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 come to our country. But, you uh, would welcome Vladimir Putin here of right course now. Of we you? will welcome A man who is being investigated for war crimes by the International Criminal Court. We will welcome him to come here as part and parcel of BRICS, but we know that we are constrained by the ICC in terms of uh, doing that. 
Putin is a head of state. Do you think that a head of state can just be arrested anywhere? How many crimes have your country committed in Iraq? How many crimes have everyone else who's so vocal today committed in Iraq and Afghanistan? Have you arrested? You, you, know, you know the impact that You're this fan of yours... You're making a lot of noise about putting a state of working for peace between Ukraine and Russia, and you failed to resolve the war. Where are the weapons of mass destruction? Tony Blair went to Iraq and claimed that there are weapons of mass destruction. Did you see anybody standing against that in the United Kingdom and Britain? More than millions of people have died in Iraq and yeah. Afghanistan, and there are no weapons of mass destruction. We know what the war is about Mr. Secretary General. between Russia. Goes on, you get the idea. Push back. It's saying, well, we, we support yeah, other dictators. The difference is that, you know, I agree with what he's coming from, but I also think that the ICC didn't actually indict anyone in Iraq, but they have indicted Putin. And the war crimes were slightly different. So there have been soldiers. Yeah, not as many people. Not, not soldiers, as many people killed. Soldiers who have been tried, but so we're talking about ethnic cleansing has gone on in the Ukraine. Mm. That's the allegations, and there's some fairly strong evidence. Ethnic cleansing didn't happen in Iraq. I guess the point I'm making is that we're moving to a multipolar world, and we've got BRICS, we've got you know Brazil, we've now got Venezuela, we've got the Saudis are talking to Iran, they're best buddies now. There's a breakaway of the global South and other countries who are now banding together with the help of China, with the oil of the Saudis, and they don't view Russia and Putin unfavorably like the West has done. It's just the fact that, that they view it quite differently to what the West does. So I'm just trying to give a perspective that not everybody in the world is following the same Western view of it. Not saying that Putin's right in what he's doing, but these people are saying, like this guy from Africa is saying, well, he's a leader of a major country and you guys didn't arrest or stop any of the murderous thugs who were in charge of the UK, the US and Australia when they went around the world bombing places so don't go telling us what to do in this case. That's how the, that is how the global South looks at the Ukraine-Russia issue. But, but go back 40 years, and that was the same with the East versus the West, and the Iron Curtain were propping up various states in the South, the global South, who would align with them, yeah, plus ça change. Yes. I, I, I don't see that this is anything new. Well, when you've, got, when you've got countries that are not under the thumb but are voluntarily forming a new multipolar block, countries as diverse as South Africa, Brazil, Venezuela, Iran, China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, like... That's a lot of people who are entering into this voluntarily because they're 
they're done with the system that was in place. They're not being, you know, forced into this. They're going, they've been chomping at the bit, waiting for an opportunity to tell the IMF and the USA and the Western powers to go and get fucked. And it's come to the point where they can actually do it now. And so they look at this situation. It's not like a poor African country that was getting some foreign aid from Russia and felt that it had to. This is a much more voluntary shifting of, of power that's happening in the world. It's just an example of it there. Uh, this is a bit of homework for you, Trevor. Uh, can you come back with a critique of the view of the Western world that the US imposed at the end of the Second World War? What was wrong with the rules-based order? What was wrong with the rules-based order? Yes. Well, what was wrong with it was it was no. attached to neoliberalism where basically the USA said to the global south and in particular Latin America that you've said, got to give it you've you got to have to yeah, open up that. your economies to us we will not let you create industry you can make you can grow bananas and we'll buy your bananas but don't you dare try and start a car manufacturing industry. We won't let you. They were held back because of the IMF and the World Bank. And, and as soon as they showed any promise, they would have been militarily attacked. Their governments would have been overthrown. Allende in Chile. So that's what happened was, was the US hegemon was forced on these countries and they couldn't do anything about it. Now, China has got big enough, India, Russia, Iran. There's enough, the American might has deteriorated enough now that these countries can finally get out from underneath their power. Like, that's what happened. Yeah, I suppose. I... Yeah. So, yeah, so when it comes to these things, there's just a different point of view out there in the world. And it's like I had a discussion with Paul from Canberra, who's up in Brisbane recently, and we're talking about China. I was just trying to say to him, people think that the Chinese are chomping at the bit for a different form of democratic government. And on the whole, they're not. That you can look at all manner of different polls, and the Chinese happy with the system of government that they've got largely. They're far happier with it than, than Western countries are. Yeah. And in the West, we don't understand that. And next week, when we will resume, I'll do the article, which is what the West doesn't understand about China. But it's similar to this sort of discussion we're having. The West doesn't understand the global South and doesn't understand China. And they think about these things from a different point of view. Mm. And it's, you know, you're accusing me of being naive about my view of Putin. I'm not being naive at all. I understand he's a prick and a bastard and all the rest of it. But, I, but it's, it's not as straightforward as Western propaganda would have it. Yeah. Ah, there we go. I right. have to agree to disagree on that one, yeah. I think. Well, that's good. That's what we're here for.
Right, it's over an hour and a half. We're done for this week. In the chat room, you've been magnificent. Keep up the good work. Join us again next week. We'll talk to you then. Bye for now. And it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good night.